Welcome to Saving the Game. This is episode 50, Making Interesting Characters, recorded live on October 16th of 2014 with your hosts, Grant, Peter, Brandon, and you. Welcome to Saving the Game. I'm Grant. I'm Peter. And I'm Brandon. What? No joke? I like to mix it up a little bit. Okay, fair (laughs) enough. And by it, you mean our expectations. Gotcha. (laughs) And yeah, so this is our 50th episode, people. Woohoo! I know, right? We have been on the air for over two years now. Yep. Madness. And we are actually recording this one live. We're going to... Have it up on our YouTube channel. Well, my YouTube channel first, and we'll move it over to the Saving the Game one. Technically, we always record them live, but... Okay, yes, but people can watch it live, and that's awesome. And we have a bunch of listener questions, and hopefully we'll get more as we go live, you know, and people go, oh, hey, cool, they're recording, and that's awesome. So that'll be fun. Indeed. If you are listening to us after the fact, and you want to watch the YouTube video, which will be unedited and messy and ridiculous, uh, follow us on Facebook, Twitter or Google Plus, and we'll post a link to that video very soon after this recording, and it'll, I'm sure, be in the show notes as well. We may even post it on our website all on its own. We'll see. And you'll get to see exactly the stuff that I have to deal with. Yay! You stole my line! I was gonna <laughs> drop that. Alright. Uh, uh, you'll, you'll see exactly why we're glad that we have Brandon as an editor. <laughs> <clears throat> Yeah. Or indeed an editor at all. Any editor. I mean, Brendan is an especially good one, but you'll see why we need an editor. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like this, for example. I would keep this in. Uh, let's see, a couple of things here. We are going to be raising money for the Bodana Group again this year during our holiday charity drive. Yes. Uh, I'm actually going to be talking with Jack Birkenstock, who you may remember as our awesome guest from the Bodana Group, executive director of Bodana, who we had on a year or two ago. Almost exactly a year. It was 25 episodes back. <laughs> there we go. Plus a few bonus episodes. So so probably nothing like a year in real time. Probably like a year and a month or something, yeah. Who knows? But yes, half a show ago. That's scary. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, if you want to help us raise money for them, there will be a link in the show notes here, as well as in the sidebar of our website, and I'm sure we will uh, fill our social media feeds with links to that too. Or you can just go to razoo.com, R-A-Z-O-O.com, slash story, slash STG 2014, and you'll see information for our fundraiser for the Banana Group. And like I said, there will be links everywhere. You will not be lacking for links. It'll be fun. We will bombard you with them, inundate you with them, flood you with them. Yes. So look forward to that. That'll be fun. <laughs> but no, seriously, the Banana Group, if you don't know them, they do basically trauma therapy for children specifically specializing in uh, sexual trauma and also they do work with first responders and other caregivers working on compassion fatigue and a few other things and they use tabletop role-playing games as a therapy tool which is why we love them and we think they're awesome people also they're awesome people well i love them because i went to save against fear right so you you have like twice the love. Uh, but on a group, check them out on the web. I'll help link to them. 
They're good people. And uh, yes. at the very least, you'll find out about them from our fundraiser page. And Jack is watching because he just said greetings, everyone. So greetings to you, Jack. Hello, Jack. All right. I'm going to try to keep an eye on questions. Awesome. Thank you. Wow, we have a lot of these already. Yeah, I know. One last thing before we get started on our topic in scripture. If you like what we do, take a minute to review us on your podcasting platform of choice, whether that's Google Play or the iTunes Store or RPGpodcast.com or Stitcher or wherever. Every review you give us, even if it's an honest one-star review, helps us a lot. Now, don't get me wrong. Would I love five-star reviews? Yes, of course. But an honest review that people can look at and go, okay, I like this show, or, oh, you know, I don't think I'll like this show. Huge help for us. So take a minute to do that. It helps us a lot. And share us out on social media. That helps, too. All right, enough plugs. We've got scripture to read. Proverbs seventeen seventeen: A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. Romans eight thirty five. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? James chapter 1 verses 2 to 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So our topic tonight is a really broad topic, making interesting characters. We are not going to hit every possible way to make your character interesting in this episode. I'll tell you that right now. We're probably not even going to hit 10% of them. <laughs> no, which is good, because it means we're not going to run out of episode material for a while, right? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we can just keep coming back to this with, you know, slightly varied names. Making characters that are interesting. Adding interest <laughs> to your character. Making interesting characters part two, Electric Boogaloo. Yes. So, I did want to start, though with kind of a, a little game to go back and forth here with you guys. I think there are some common traps that new players and GMs fall into that they think makes a character interesting all by themselves. Oh, we're talking about the Batman syndrome here? Well, Batman, yeah, that's that's one of them, right? I think there are things that people go, oh, well, this will be really cool. This will make a great character. And in isolation, that thing makes them boring. It's not that the thing itself done properly is necessarily a bad thing. It might actually be fascinating, but it needs work and you can't stop with just this one little thing. Well, yes. So I wanted to kind of go over these traps and then talk about how to do these things right or better. Well, just from what you've said, I've got uh, one thing jumping right off the top of my head is that there is no one single thing that is going to make a character interesting. And so you need a collection of a whole bunch of things. So the first problem would be uh, relying on just one thing instead of creating a fully fleshed out and developed character. Okay, I'll buy that. I think as a general rule, that's a good thing. I think it is possible to go too far with that and have an incredibly complicated character with lots of little nuances that simply may not come out well in a story or may muddle a character's reaction to things. You run the risk of making a character that's so complicated that you can't play them. Oh, true, but... When you're having yeah. to do kind of an emotional utilitarian calculus to figure out how somebody's going to react to, you know, hey, a dragon just landed, maybe you've gone too far. True, but yeah, but that's talking about extremes. Well, we are talking about extremes, though. I, I think a lot of this is extremes, right? They take it people take this to an extreme. The first one that we're talking about here, 
for me at least, and I think this is probably the biggest trap for all gamers, is personal might, right? Raw character power. Are, are we all in agreement on that? That, you know, raw power does not by itself make a character interesting? Uh, yeah, of course I not. Mean, look at look at Superman. I mean, he doesn't really start getting interesting until you start factoring in some of the relationships that he has and stuff because he is so just puissant. You know? Oh sure, he's indestructible. He can he can fling mountains, and some versions he can turn you know time backwards by flying around the earth, and it's just it's crazy, right? And so that you know the writers of Superman have to work really hard to find weaknesses or figure out little tiny holes in the massive array of powers he was given in like the fifties and sixties. Yeah, where. All of a sudden, you know, hey, wait, we found one thing he can't do really well. Let's build up a nemesis based entirely on that. There was a a saying that I heard is in one of the ages, Superman can't do anything that he hasn't tried yet. (laughs) Yes. Which is like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, in and of itself, that does not make a character interesting. I am entirely guilty of this. I have made characters whose only defining characteristic was really high save DCs on their spells, guys. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. So cool. Let me tell you, it was the worst character. It was so boring. <laughs> no. Terrible. And it's just, it's not a good character, right? Because there's no depth to it, and there's no meaning to, hey, I'm an incredibly powerful person. What are the consequences? Loot. Yeah. The thing is, yeah. a lot of what makes a character interesting is the things that you aren't good at. Right. Because the things that you have to struggle with, because that's that's where all the drama is. Uh, I believe the direct quote from my class that I had was, drama equals characters in conflict. So if there's no conflict, if you're just going to overcome, well, then you have Mary Sue, and no one likes Mary Sue. Right. And that particular comment, I think, segues well into Jack's question, so I'd like to hit that here. All right. Yeah. So um, Jack Birkenstock wrote, what are your thoughts on injecting deeply personal material into one of your characters? And if you are comfortable with sharing this, where are you actively challenging inner struggles? Do you think that it is possible to gain benefit from this? Yes. And yes, I think it's possible. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yes, it is definitely possible to gain benefit from it. In fact, actually, I just had a conversation that touched on this with Jack last night where I mentioned that I have a lot of characters that have facial scars and was kind of wondering what's the psychological thing behind that. And he's like, well, do you have some kind of a mistake or misstep in your past that has helped you move forward, but that you want to make sure you never forget? That's the scar. Yeah, I'll buy that. And I kind of stopped and I was like, yeah, that's almost me in a nutshell. Obviously, I'm not going to go into what that stuff is here, but... Very true. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes little details like that creep in, whether we intend for them to or not. But I I think there is definitely some value in doing it intentionally. That Lord Soth character that I have mentioned a number of times on the podcast, I think I kind of worked through some anger issues and stuff with him. And uh, yeah, I think that was definitely beneficial. How about you guys? Well, I'll tell you, one of the characters that I still think about the most was a Celestial Chorister character in a mage game. This was the three-year prologue to, <laughs> to the vampire game that I am not in. But 
this particular character was a Catholic priest. And I created that character specifically so that I would have to address my own disinterest in faith at that particular time. It was very much kind of a challenge to myself of, okay, let's put my faith front and center in this character so that I can't ignore it. Because, okay, going to church, uh, that's a lot of work, got to get up on Sunday, oh, I got to read, I got to, you know, get dressed, I got to do all this. Oh, man, that's no fun. Oh, well, Chrissy and I are, you know, she's Southern Baptist, I'm Presbyterian. There's a lot of problems with that. What? Oh, hey, mage game. Oh, I'm down every Tuesday. Let's go. It was a good opportunity for me to kind of test myself in a way and focus on something that I knew was important, but I was kind of avoiding out of, you know how you sort of avoid things that you feel guilty about and that sort of snowballs and soon you've completely forgotten about it and you dread going back to it. Yeah. No, I have no idea what that's yeah. like. Okay, yeah. good. Not a universal part of the human condition or anything. Glad we're all on the same page on that. Basically, I use that character to force my own hand. So, yeah, I think it's very possible to challenge inner struggles. And very beneficial. <laughs> oh, yeah. We do have another question here that's kind of about what we just started talking about. Yes, I believe that you can gain benefit from it. I haven't really addressed anything personally, except if you want to talk about I used to really, really hate the concept of playing evil characters until I played one. I don't think that it was a necessarily a problem, but more of just a discovery. So yeah, I could see if you're trying to deal with this, it's it's a really good thing to, to do. But I, I did notice um, uh, it looks like Nathan Ray responded directly to what we were saying. An overly powerful hero might not be interesting, but couldn't an overly powerful villain be interesting based on how much fear it can cause in the hearts among the heroes? Uh, yes. Well, okay. Overly powerful is kind of one of those leading phrases, right? Are we talking about this guy is really powerful, how do we deal with him? Or this guy is really powerful because the GM won't let us do anything. I think that really varies because I don't find Doomsday to be a very interesting villain, but I think Doctor Doom is fascinating. Yeah, I'll buy that. Doomsday is er, big, strong. I exist because we needed something big and strong to kill Superman. Yay. Whereas Doom is complex and somewhat sympathetic and has all this nuance and is fascinating. Kind of this renaissance man. Right. And power is good when using that power has consequences. And the question is, are you willing to pay that price? There's a line from, I want to say, The Wheel of Time where the Aes Sedai are talking about power and how do you pay for power? And the answer that they came back with was do what you want, then pay for it. Interesting. Right. Or it was either do what you want or do what needs to be done, then pay for it. I do think overpowering or seemingly unbeatable villain can be interesting, but it's talking about the perception versus actual power. If this villain can just stomp on the hero's, and there's nothing they can do. Well, I guess you could have it in certain types of games, but it's going to really change the type of game you have. But I have run games where the villain has been built up so, so, so much, and the PCs on a normal day would probably not have been able to deal with this guy, but there was always this one thing. This thing that happened, I'm able to deal with it now. Well, and I think you do want to avoid to swipe a little bit of... FTB parlance, a BVBA, who you just cannot 
do anything to and is always going to win and run away laughing and stuff. That's not interesting. That's just yeah. That's just frustrating. Yeah. Oh sure. Here's the thing: an overly powerful hero. Why are they not interesting? Because there's no particular challenge that they can't overcome, or it's binary, right? Did I overcome the challenge? Yes or no? Through whatever physical or mental or spellcasting or whatever means I've got. Is there a question about whether or not they can? Will they have to think hard about it? Okay, now it's interesting. Is there a cost that they're going to have to pay? Okay, now it's interesting. If we can ask the same questions about the villain, then yes, they're interesting. And I would say even if they are particularly powerful in some particular aspect, if they have a weakness that can be exploited or something that they are willing or not willing to do that you can take advantage of as heroes of the story, then I think you're on the right track with the villain. Also along those lines, I think power level is almost irrelevant to interest. Sure. It's how much do they feel like a person? Yeah. You know, we were talking about Superman. Green Lantern is typically on about the same level as Superman, right? Yeah. Superman bores me. Green Lantern, fascinating. Well, and I mean to use an example from our Shadowrun campaign, how powerful is Sand? Uh, It really doesn't matter. Everybody loves him. (laughs) It doesn't matter. As an arms dealer, he's probably fairly powerful. As a troll, he's certainly got some physical might, even if he's not uh, hardened street samurai powerful, right? Right. Socially, he's got plenty of power, but who cares? Yeah. That's not the point. That's not what defines him. (laughs) None of us care about that stuff. We just go and talk to him and stuff. Exactly. Uh, And Jack actually had a follow-up question that I want to address. What if the overly powerful hero is challenged by his power being minimized or ineffective in a circumstance? And I want to talk about that because that's one of the other things that I think people screw up when they're talking about interesting characters. Okay. Remember I was talking about Green Lantern? Yeah. Okay, what happens when you take Green Lantern's ring? Uh, He turns into a regular dude. In a bad story, he's a regular dude who whines about not having his ring until somebody else gets it back. In a good story, he gets it back. Green Lanterns figures out how to get his power back. Or he does something really cool without it. Right. Hey, just because I don't have my ring doesn't mean I'm not a smart, capable person with all these other skills. You know, there were Green Lanterns who were airplane pilots. There are Green Lanterns who were engineers. I remember one comic, one other Lantern was talking about one of these Lanterns who was an engineer, an architect. And when he constructed things... Every single bolt and rivet and screw in the entire construct was held within his mind and made manifest through the the power that he wielded. That's really cool. And just because he doesn't have a ring doesn't mean he's not going to be able to think along those same lines and have that kind of mental capacity. Well, and Kyle Rayner was an illustrator. So, yeah, I mean, everything he made was cool looking. Yeah. And so you have these different talents, whereas in bad stories, uh, lost the one source of my power. I'm boring now. And again, I have made characters who were boring when they lost the one and only source of their power. It was actually one of my favorite characters. That was the one screw up I had with him. Was King Arthur a great hero because he had Excalibur or because he was a wise king? Actually, it was the scabbard. Yeah, well, okay. But (laughs) it was the scabbard that made him invincible and the sword he pulled out of the stone and all of the ridiculously powerful and incredibly holy knights. But yes, I get your point. The fact that he had a magic sword did not define him. No, he had other talents that made him a good character. So to get back to Jack's question, if he's challenged by the power being minimized or ineffective in some circumstance, awesome. If it means, why don't you just go pick up the pizza? You're not really important anymore. 
then you've got a problem. Yeah, it's like the kind of argument with Aquaman. Well, Aquaman is really great underwater, but if you're not dealing with fish, then what the heck? And they've done other things that have made him a little more powerful now, but like, he's really powerful, but now he's on land and he has nothing to do. Well, then he's, I wouldn't call him powerful. I would say that he's powerful in theory. Well, and they don't play up enough of his other traits. You know, he's a king, so he should have that kind of royal bearing, and he's got all of this fighting skill with the trident and stuff and yeah there's there's they leave a lot on the table with him a lot of the time i feel like but but the one thing i do want to say is yeah you definitely can have a story about a really powerful guy who's like somehow losing his powers because that has happened a lot in the stuff that jim butcher has written both codex alara and resden files you have some pretty powerful characters uh and in codex alara it's all about the character who is the weakest person in the world Everyone else has magic, he does not have magic, and he saves the day, which makes him really interesting. But in Dresden Files, Dresden's a huge wizard, he's got all this power, but a lot of times, in the big, huge climax, he says, I'm out, I have no more power, I'm, I'm done, there are limits I've reached, but he still finds a way to pull out by some other really mm-hmm. awesome thing, which is why I love Dresden. Yeah, and he leans on other characters who don't have his same oh, yeah. sort of power, like Murphy. Mm-hmm. And again, talking about the Wheel of Time... A lot of times those characters are cut off from their magic power and it's still, all right, well, can't do that. I'm not out of the picture here, guys. Let me, let me do something. Mm -hmm. So next one that I wanted to hit on beauty and charisma. This, I think goes really strongly towards that Mary Sue thing. You know, Oh, everybody loves this particular character because, Oh, you know, he is the prettiest (laughs) elf, right? Or, you know, oh, he's the manliest of men, and everybody goes, wow, those muscles. If I remember correctly, in second edition D&D, barbarians got social bonuses because, oh, everybody loves barbarians, they're the best. Things like that. I think most people know how to deal with this, so I don't think this is a huge problem at games unless the entire game is, look how pretty all of our vampires are. Uh, And yes, I'm picking on vampire players here a little bit because I'm good (laughs) friends with a lot of vampire players. I think that's... It's still a common mistake that new people make, and maybe that's peculiar to insecure people sometimes. I have no problem making a hideously ugly character and playing it up because that's fun, but I think sometimes people do that. I like to play a lot of kind of ordinary-looking characters that will blend into crowds because A, it's useful, and B, it doesn't go to either stereotype. Yeah, the everyday hero is a favorite of yours, I know. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. So I don't think we have a ton to say on that one. Wealth, I think, is another one that people mostly know how to deal with because we all saw Richie Rich when we were kids. (laughs) But no, it's just, you know, okay, well, he's got wealth. Well, what happens if he isn't wealthy all of a sudden? Okay, well, everybody can kind of think through that. But I think that is a common trap. Well, and I think the best way around that is give him problems that wealth can't solve. Yeah, definitely. Doesn't I mean it doesn't it doesn't matter how rich you are if somebody is emotionally distraught. It doesn't matter how much you've got in your bank account if somebody is about to, you know, is in imminent physical peril. You can't buy your way out of that. Right. And I think even more interesting than that is what happens when you start buying your way out of problems. And what kind of additional problems does that bring up? Yeah. Okay, hey, I'm incredibly wealthy. Okay, and now I start showing it. Well, now all of a sudden I've got people trying to rob me. I've got people trying to swindle me. I've got people hanging around me saying, hey, I'm your best buddy, right? You want to you wanna cut me a... I'm short a few thousand to the loan shark. Can you help me out? 
hey, my car's kind of, you know, not doing well. Can you get me a new car? Hey, my kid is sick. Can you help me? You know, and so you start throwing out problems that having wealth itself brings, you know, this, this massive wealth. And then, okay, is the wealth and the lifestyle that that maybe lends itself to, is that fulfilling at all, right? This is one of the things that I think good Batman writers do well as they play up the dichotomy between playboy Bruce Wayne and guy who actually cares about things Batman. Yeah. And that's true of a lot of other, you know, billionaire superheroes of all different sorts. Green Arrow, Iron Man, and so forth. I think I've talked a lot about Doc Savage, right? This very Mary Sue-like pulp figure. But that was one of the things that they really play up in those books is Doc Savage has a tremendous amount of wealth, but always uses it responsibly. And, you know, is uh, very quiet about the massive wealth that he has, all this sort of stuff. And, yes, is it Mary Sue-ish? Sure it is. But it's a good look into, well, here's a very wealthy person. How is he avoiding those particular traps? Well, the answer is author fiat. But, you know, for your character, you can make those happen. I love those books, but not for the main character or the title character, I should say. (laughs) The title character is not really the main character of those books. He's just the guy who shows up and things happen. He's Captain Plot Device. (laughs) He is kind of Captain Plot Device, Uh, yes. Made of pure plutonium. Yes, his five assistants who are human characters that have flaws are the people that the book actually centers on. Well, they're not made of plutonium. Uh, they're actual humans, so... <laughs> no, they're actual humans with things they care about. Why don't we pepper in a couple of some of these shorter ones real quick before we continue on here? Yeah, sure, no problem. What What is the likelihood of this show getting a TV Tropes page? Uh, if somebody wants to set one up for us, that would be great. I don't know that any of the three of us are really familiar with putting stuff on TV tropes, though. No, also, we're not on TV, so I don't think that's applicable. Uh, well, it there's actually... There's a lot co- of stuff. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, um, probably never. We're a niche within a niche. I think we yeah. get our Wikipedia page first. See here. What do you consider to be the best episode you've produced for the podcast? <sighs> you know, our Monsters one was pretty good recently. Yeah, that was pretty good. Uh, um, I don't know. Uh, there are a l- it's kind of hard for me to tell because I edited a bunch of them and Brandon's edited a bunch of them. So I've heard them over and over and over. Yeah. And I've listened to all of them in an effort to get better. And it's, I, you know, I honestly, I don't know. It's, I can tell you the ones that I enjoyed the most, but that's different from best. Um, yeah, I, I really tend uh, to enjoy the ones where we get our guest hosts on. Actually, we've yeah, talked to a huge number of really interesting people. Um, thanks to this podcast, it's one of my favorite parts of doing it. Envy, yeah, Envy was a good one. A lot of the Virtues and Vices series well, I've enjoyed. Mainly, I say Envy because of the huge argument that I turned into a scholarly lecture. <laughs> well, so yeah, that was. It was the first one, so that's I, uh, uh, like, like like with Grant. I'm I'm. It's hard to judge because I've I've done some of these. So which ones the best ones you produced? Oh, my mind instantly goes to. I'm just okay. Here, here's my final answer. The last one. All right. <laughs> All right. The last one. All right. Um, what would you want to do for the final episode of the podcast? Go surprise. We're not done. <laughs> 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 um, Take over the world. 
Uh, that would be fun. What do you think uh, of yeah. LARPing? Right. Um, never at the table. It looks interesting, but I've never done it, and I don't have the budget or time. Y'all have fun with that. Uh, I'm okay with LARPing, I think. I, again, I've never done it, but I think it'd be difficult, although I am I am the consummate actor. I, I will say this. I am genuinely impressed by the amount of work that goes into good LARPs from both the people who run it and the players. Massive costuming, tremendous amount of organization that has to happen. I mean, some of these LARPs are 300 people. You try running a game for 300 people while managing costumes and act, directing other people. It's like trying to run a weekend-long play. <laughs> it's nuts. It, the amount of work that goes into it is enormous. I will say that savagely bludgeoning your friends with boffer swords is a lot of fun. I have done some Yeah, but of that. you can do that without pretending to be anybody. You could just hit people with a nerf Oh, bat. yeah. We we basically did that, actually. So I... <laughs> Yeah. Um, and I have done games that are... While not LARPs, you know, very close to pure role play and very little in the way of mechanics. And those are a lot of fun. So LARPing is not my thing, but seriously, y'all have fun with that because I'm glad you're enjoying it. Okay, let's Uh, get back on track here. I do kind of want to turn this around. We've been talking a lot about strengths. I think weaknesses are another common trap for people. Well... We actually do kind of have a question that goes along with that. Yes, we do. We do. And I'm glad I saw that one. And this is another one from Nathan uh, talking about characters who are interesting because they aren't as physically powerful. How do you make someone interesting who's emotionally or mentally weak? Let's talk about those first. Again, is that weakness their sole defining characteristic? If yes, it's not a very interesting character. I disagree. Hold on. You might not disagree when I'm done. <laughs> if that is their sole defining characteristic, I'm talking about this from a game perspective. I think there are other characters who can have this weakness in fiction that don't necessarily, like written fiction or plays. I'm actually thinking um, Streetcar Named Desire, Blanche. Um, uh, Blanche Dubois. Yeah. She doesn't have a whole lot of other redeeming qualities. She's kind of defined by various different weaknesses. And I think that's fine. In a game where you're trying to typically accomplish some goal and you are trying to be the protagonist, I think you need to counterbalance that weakness or find a way to turn that weakness to your advantage at times and certainly not be entirely defined by it. And I say, you know, be whatever whatever character it is. If it's a NPC, same thing. Uh, unless they're just a quick one-off stereotype of some sort. But if it's a character who needs to have some depth and is going to be center stage for a while, they have weaknesses. How have they lasted this long without compensating for that weakness? Um, you know, hey, somebody's got a, a physical disability. Okay. What do they do with that? Someone's mentally uh, weak in some way. They've got a, like a monk-like character with terrible OCD and other problems. Well, Monk functions despite those. How does he do it, right? I, I think that's how you have to approach it. True, but, like, see, the, the, the thing that I got from is that you can have a simple character, like, uh, a very interesting... The, the, when, when he says mentally weak, because I'm like, emotionally weak, well, then you have a coward. Cowards are great characters, because the the instant problem... Sure, every, but do they get things done despite being cowards? Uh... 
possibly. Like, it depends on the, the type of coward you have. I, I think it'd be great to play a coward who, who who's kind of, like, forced in the situation and has to find the safe spot and, you know, do things like that and uh, all that. Uh, and for Mentally Weak, all I can think is that that is, that is someone who is who's not as smart as someone else. I'm like, okay, that's a barbarian. And I've played plenty of barbarians who have very simplistic worldviews. Who go... Oh, yeah, yeah, me too. You know, uh, the character I was talking about before with the one item weakness... Dumb as a brick. He was as dumb as I could make him in Savage Worlds, and I played him dumb. Yeah, and, and that's what is. Oh, well, I, I go here. All right. Well, I I smash this. You know, <laughs> I don't understand what this is. My player knows. Oh, this is what it is. Like, what would I do if I didn't understood? Stand, and then that's sort of how you get into that mindset. Is you say, all right, what would I do if I didn't know how to use this? And, and that actually makes it really interesting playing below your intelligence, honestly playing below your intelligence mm-hmm. and, and sticking to it can actually be some of the most thought-provoking things ever because you're thinking, what do I do if this? I want to yeah. come back around to cowardice before we move on too far because there's an interesting phenomenon that happens in real life with that. A lot of the time, mm-hmm. people who think of themselves as cowards or have been told that they are will actually be some of the most outwardly valorous and brave people because they feel like they have to fight against their own perception. Right. And and I think sometimes the opposite is true, is that a, a person who is really, really, really a coward, like, uh, I'm reading the Codex of Valera right now, and, and they're at uh, uh, this enemy where the, the main character is having to be a captain and fight against this uh, basically race of dog people called the Carnum, and he says that the person he's fighting mainly is a coward and he knows it to be true and this is a person who's leading an army and getting stuff done but the fact that he is scared and a cowardice is able to be used against him because he's putting out this outward show of force and like I am big and I am strong but it's a lie like it is, yeah. he, he's not so that the, the, the coward might be the one who's making all these brave speeches, but when push comes to shove, they're in the back. Like, right. Well, I, that's almost a stereotype, isn't uh-huh. it? You know, the, the shouting leader urging his followers on the battle while he just kind of hides in the back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think it's, it's interesting in that. And you can, you can play that up and mm-hmm. make it central, but I don't think it, should especially again especially for a protagonist it should define them entirely well, this, or they overcome it this, this kind of, and, and maybe you can make overcoming that weakness what, kind of their story you can and uh this is actually going to go to probably the one point that i really have which is that in characters as you mentioned they're a mix of different things is everyone is a person who is defined by basically the the pressures that society puts on them. And everyone in the world uh, has a mix of things. They, they, they don't just all accept all of the pressures, and they don't just reject all the pressures. They accept some and reject others. And that, I think, is the key to creating a good character. It's finding out which pressures are put on, what pressures are put on them, and seeing what are they accepting and what are they rejecting. And why are they doing those things? And then you will have a good character. Yeah, couldn't say it better. Good question, Nathan. Thank you. The last thing that I wanted to hit on real quick, and then we have a whole bunch of other questions I want to get to, because, hey, live episode and awesome listeners who have joined us. Y'all are great. Physical disabilities, 
I think, falls somewhat into that same category. To a certain degree, it's less intense because I think we all know people who have gotten around those and so it's less of a this one physical flaw completely defines me but i think that's a a common mistake that very new role players will make uh is to say well i took this one weakness and since that's the one flaw that i took to make my stats even better oh boy i'm gonna play that i be captain eye patch and everything centers around me lack of depth perception right (laughs) yeah that's actually maybe one of the biggest problems is no guys we can't do that i'm allergic Nope, can't do that. I'm allergic. Nope, can't do that. I'm allergic. And I'm using allergies here as kind of a generic kind of jokey one, but oh man, all the time. I've, again, I've played bad characters like this because I was also a new stupid role player once. (laughs) um, And I wish I had played them longer ago than I had. See, the thing that I always think about when playing someone who has a disability, because I have thought about playing someone who has a disability. I've never brought myself to play it. But I know in in the Firefly role-playing game uh, that was put out by Cortex, uh, I have it up on my shelf. I well, it uses it the Cortex system, yeah. Yeah, the, the Cortex system, like the old one. Basically, it, it had one of the things about being blind and also about having precognition. And I'm like, I really want to pull those two together. Have on this ship a, a blind female who has precognition, who's sort of this fortune teller lady who is going around with these this group of thieves for some reason or another, and it's just like... You realize you just made a Greek oracle in space, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> now, l- let me ask you this, though. Does the precognition completely compensate for the blindness? No, not at all. All right, because that's, that's kind of what I was afraid of, yeah. is the, oh, look, it's the blind monk who, yeah, he's got his eyes covered but he's otherwise completely fine and that's part of the reason why i would i would because i would think it would be hard to play that up i mean but then again one of the my favorite characters from one of my favorite series is a blind girl who is the most badass character ever and i'm talking about toph from Avatar. Of course you are. Yeah. Because she's awesome. <laughs> it's like everyone who sees Toph is like, eh, she's... Be- her being blind, while it, it does cause problems, because there's there's a couple episodes where it's like, what is on this paper? And she's like, I'm blind. Like, of course I don't know. Like, and, and there's there's some jokes that are played up with that, but it, it doesn't weaken her or make her less effective as a person because she does have a sort of compensation of sensing through the ground, but even sometimes that is taken away from her. The other thing that just came around here is because we were talking about what would it be like if you played someone with a disability? And so I'm like, okay, well, what if they only had one arm and they're, they, they're still a fighter? Okay, well, you know, they, they only have one arm and they're a fighter. Well, maybe that, should, that just means that they're really driven themselves to be really good with that one arm. And so maybe they're an accomplished duelist. And the mind instantly went to Norse mythology and the idea of Tyr, who was the one-handed warrior who was the champion of single combat because he yeah. just was. Uh, Tolkien <laughs> borrowed slash stole that whole concept with one of his elves in the Silmarillion who uh, his hand got cut off and he recovered and ended up being an even deadlier fighter with that uh, with his left hand because he'd lost his right hand and really wanted vengeance okay um before before we move away from this one i want to go back to toff a little bit because she is actually a really good example of several things that we've been talking about (laughs) so she has a lot of personal might right she's the most formidable earthbender in the setting Mm -hmm. and she's got a physical disability and those two things are part of what makes her interesting but 
it's not all of it. She's got a bunch of personality traits that can kind of be good or bad, depending on the circumstance. She tends to be very confident, arrogant when it's bad, and um, very sure of herself when it's good. She's kind of resourceful. She's very loyal. And all of that stuff stirred into the same pot makes her interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, let's not even forget the th- the fact that she comes from, she's a wealthy, she's wealthier than everyone else there. Aang is a monk, Sokka and Katara were from a poor tribe. She is from a wealthy family. And that's one of the things is that she she's re- basically rejects what her family wants her to be, which is this poor, you know, like, oh, she can't do anything because she's blind. And she's basically like, forget that. I'm going to be the most powerful earthbender there is. And and she really pulls it off. And, and and also in the series, you have my second main character who's favorite is Sokka. He's completely depowered. You know, story about everyone else who has magic, he has no magic. But he still contributes. He's still interesting. He He's still like... He's the idea guy. He comes up with a plan, and it might be silly, but usually it comes up with something that works. Yeah. Okay. Hey, listeners, Grant here. We had so much fun recording this episode, we pretty much literally could not stop talking to you. We did something like an hour and 45 minutes of content for what is normally an hour-long show. It's kind of crazy. So we're going to go ahead and break this up into two parts. If you absolutely cannot wait, and you want to hear our live, unedited, full of interrupting podcast trains version of the show check the show notes uh we'll have the youtube link in there in the meantime look forward to part two in two weeks and we will wrap up this episode then and move on to the next episode after that we'll catch you then have a good one this podcast episode is a production of saving the game and may be redistributed under a creative commons non-commercial non-derivative license so long as appropriate credit is given our music is by ryan humphrey Saving the Game is syndicated through inroadsministries.com, rpgpodcasts.com, stitcher.com, and iTunes. To hear past episodes and to connect with us or our community of listeners, visit our website at savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless, and happy gaming.